Welcome back to the Good Bottle Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Sinclair. And I'm Drew Garrison. Drew, you look like you got a tan. You know what? For the first time in my life, I think I did. Wow. How was Hawaii? It was just everything that you wanted to be and more. We even had like overcast and it still was great. You know, my daughter got to see the ocean for the first time and she lost her goddamn mind. That's and then um, she also got to go to a luau and got to do the luau with Mickey and Minnie at the uh. Alani in, uh, in Oahu. So, so yeah, she was definitely living her best life. She was not stoked to go back to uh, school this week. That is for <laughs> sure. Um, but also, you know, I had a really fun time out there. I think um, Honolulu has this really cool cocktail scene and this growing enthusiasm for it out there, you know, just outside of your typical Hawaiian Mai Tai. Like people are like really putting together some cool programs. So, you know, some of our friends like uh, Damien went over at Pint and Jigger and then our good buddy Daniel Bruce, who's actually confirmed listener of the good bottle podcast oh man we've got a fan we have a fan and he totally gets what we're doing like he broke down what he liked about the show i was like holy crap man like i feel like you were in our planning meeting and you totally are getting what we what we're going for and it was so great because i did an agave class for their bg while i was out there and i first arrived and his son actually gave me like a toy to play with. He goes, he's a share. And I was like, cool, I'm already getting gifts. But then we went inside and he gave me um, a lei, which was super dope. And then a USBG Hawaii pin, which was great as well. And then this whole little box of different macadamia nut chocolates. Some of which I brought for you today as a gift from Daniel and the USBG Hawaii chapter. We're not going to eat it right now because there's nothing worse than that noise of eating on a podcast. And we have enough sound issues as it goes. That's true. So, um, Daniel, you're an amazing human being. Thank it, you. I heard Dave sent a, a gift back. Can you explain what Dave's gift was? His gift was a throat punch. Oh, Dave, you get me. Yeah. He was just like really aggressive about his relationship with you. Um, which was so, so awesome. And so we, uh, you know, spent some time again at his bar, uh, Pine Sugar, and they have like a little speakeasy behind it as well. And it's like a true speakeasy and just a really dope, dope bar, completely different, you know, situation from the traditional Pine Sugar. I can't remember the name of it now. It's Harry's Hardware. There you go. There you go. See, friendship. Yeah. But, uh, the sad news is Pine Sugar's closing down. Yes. Uh, which is... I showed my wife, I uh, told her, and she said, well, looks like we're flying to Hawaii with a newborn baby. I didn't know if that was like public knowledge, so that's why I didn't say it. <laughs> but I found out the day, and it sounds like, so what ended up happening, it's, it's not that it wasn't embraced. It's obviously a very popular bar. The building was bought by somebody else. By the police commission. Which, great. I mean, fine, but they're tearing it down? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't. I, we don't need to understand. That's not up to us. So according to Dave, right now the plan is to take a couple months off and possibly open in a different location, which would be great if that happened. But we'll have to kind of wait and see. And I and I do hope he does because he's been a big part of that that culture and that growing that. And I think we probably had somewhere. Around 21, 22 people on a Monday afternoon. For your tasting? Yeah, well, Monday early, I guess late, late morning. Yeah, so. That's amazing. 
yeah, it was it was really cool, and it it was fun because throughout the week, a lot of the people who came to the class were like hitting me up, asking me questions, also being like, "Hey, I'm gonna be here if you're gonna be out." You know, I was with the family, so I didn't get to make out to too many things, but yeah, it was a really it was a really good group, and I was excited to um, to be a part of it and to be you know welcome out there. They don't get a whole lot of love, which I thought was crazy to me. You know, they were just talking about it's like you know we don't get a whole lot of representation out here, and I guess it makes sense because again, you're flying so far, you know, to get there. And I guess a lot of people do come in on their vacations and take a little bit of time out. I was happy to do it. I really, really enjoyed the experience. So if we do have other, you know, represent brand reps out there, ambassadors, other distributors, like just people, you know, in our kind of camp who are just enthusiasts about it, like, like give a shit about this stuff like we do, hit these guys up and be like, hey, I'm going to be out there if you're down with me coming in and talking about this, I mean, obviously, you know, it helps to know people, but um, do it because there's a, there's a lot of open ears to it, you know, and it was just really cool. It was a cool experience, you know, to, to be up there and to be presenting to people completely outside my market. And they just great questions the entire time. So many great questions, That's awesome. you know, because um, like I said, we did agave. We did a lot of agave that they actually don't get out there. And so a lot of the conversations after were like, how do we get this here? Who are the distributors that we need to hook you up with? Or who? how can you help us get this stuff out here? Because I don't supply any of these things. I just wanted to share some of my collection and, you know, continue to, I guess, sharpen the knives for yeah. my personal knowledge. Yeah, and, sure. And my presenting, you know, style. Uh, I'm, how did you get your booze out there? Uh, you just packed it? And oh, my God. It, I, yeah, packed it and checked it and then was just... On pins and needles, not only because I had a sub two-year-old on a five-hour flight, <laughs> but because I had five bottles of Mexican spirits in a bag that were, you know, bubble wrapped to the, you know, to the most degree, and then wrapped in shirts and everything like that, just not knowing. Just out of your control the whole time. Yeah, man. Well, I originally, I looked into shipping them, and... It was just so much money, so much money to ship. And I, you know, again, it makes sense, but it was just it to me. I was just like, I'm not gonna drop over $150 to have this happen. Uh, that's crazy. I, I'm so in love with the food and booze culture in Hawaii. Uh, I think Honolulu is hands down one of the most underrated cities to eat and drink in um, for a dope experience. To have, so have just a great time, really experience um, a different sort of hospitality, and and really get amazing food. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's obviously looked at as a as a vacation destination, and it's like this really weird thing. Is you have these beautiful beaches, but then aesthetically, the city is not really the prettiest thing in the world. Like sure. it's just like a lot of muted tones and stuff like that like you just it's it just seems like there's this constant conflict between the two and it also is like a city that you know when they were like infrastructure wise was not built to handle no they were that many people for, what go there and no, stuff it was not ready for for an explosion of population at all yeah population plus you know tourism you know there's some really cool stuff to do out there that, you know that we're all familiar with like you know the dole plantation is just so much fun and then uh, i did stop at kohana rum and Big shout uh, out to kohana we love them yeah they were um they had their you know their new stuff out their their 
I'm trying to say they're visiting like the little visitor center right yeah. next to the distillery. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's that's definitely a much better term. Um, was really cool. It's 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 grown a little bit. They have so much more swag now. Like I got all kinds of like random little things, and um, like a really dope hat. I'm very excited about this hat actually, and um, a couple tumblers and stuff like that. So yeah, they have some really cool stuff going on there, and of course. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about how delicious that rum is. Yeah. So, it really is. Uh, so yeah, it was it was awesome. I'm happy to be back because you know, ready to get back to the grind and and doing things. I feel refreshed. So Hawaii is really good for that. Uh, you know, if you find yourself out there, um, hit up some of those bars, hit up some of those food joints. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on in Honolulu. With all that said, we need to drink some booze. So I brought one today that we're both very familiar with. In fact, we've killed a bottle of this together in a public place. Oh. Um, you got to have to lower it down for me. <laughs> so, oh, fantastic. So what we're going to drink is the Jaeger Spirits California Fernet. Spell that Jaeger for our listeners, just so they're not mistaking it for someone else. Yeah, so it is G-E-I-J-E-R. It is uh, named after the creator of the brand, which is Martin Jaeger. He is um, a Swedish gentleman with a really awesome mustache and great enthusiasm for life. Uh, he actually started this company a few years back, and he started with... A, um, a traditional Swedish drink called Glog, which is similar to a mulled wine, but his great-grandmother had a still in the backyard. So they took that recipe and then they ran it through a still. So it's actually a little bit of a higher ABV, but you're talking about a mix of like cinnamon, cardamom, stuff like that. So that's what he started with. And then since then he's grown this, um, this lineup. So this is his California Fernet. He uses a uh, neutral grain spirit, uh, corn base. It has um, 21 different roots, herbs, and spices that are in it. The botanicals are macerated for months. Uh, you know, of course, they give your, your normal stuff like the chinchona bark and the um, genetian root, which your gentian root, which you're expected out of a fernet. I like when people like when I'm tasting people on this. Like my favorite thing to hear is like, I don't like fernet. I was like, perfect. This is the Fernet for you. And I had a conversation with Martin just the other day and he was talking about that. And it's one of the things that he loves to hear as well. And he draws it back to, you know, when something like a Fernet Bronco, which is great, was created, it was originally created uh, for medicinal uses. Right. So taste was not necessarily something that they were concerned with, right? It, you know, obviously needed to be able to drink it, but it wasn't really a, a, a highlight for them. So this stuff is like I like to say, this is the Fernet for people who hate Fernet. So you, you and I, for obvious reasons, entered this industry at different times. And uh, when you entered the industry, Drew, did was Fernet sort of a, um, a hazing practice for you? I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was hazing. Because I, I think when I came in, it was like this. It was still considered the bartender handshake, right? Asking for the Fernet. But at the time, Chinar was like really starting to build momentum. So it was kind of like this two different tiers, right? It was like your bartender handshake of ordering and drinking Fernet. But then you had like 
what I at the time what I considered like your hardcore guys who were drinking Chinar, right? And that was the one that was like that was like the real deep cuts one. And then, well, okay, hang on for our listeners. Chinar is is a is an amaro. Yeah, it's very similar in flavor profile, but it's sweeter. And I don't know, uh, maybe more artichokey. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's made in the byproduct from it from the bittering agent is called chinarin, and it comes from uh, the byproduct of cooking artichokes. So it's not actually made from artichokes. It's it'd be like if you boiled a bunch of artichokes in water and then drank the water. Except obviously that's not the the flavor profile. That's just the the bittering agent. My uh, wife loves chinar. I wonder. If, I, wonder I wonder if I can get her to drink drink that because I don't. The artichoke. She water. loves artichokes. My wife loves artichokes as well. So I'm wondering, like, okay, she, she eats puts... with mayonnaise. Which... Yeah, yeah, really? that's, that's what she does as well. I don't understand these. I'm ones. a butter guy. If I'm gonna do it. I'm a butter guy, but go like a butter garlic guy. Oh, totally. Like, uh, let's let's show some creativity here. <laughs> right. A little panache in our culinary experience. Yeah, I also fall into the camp though that although it's relatively easy to you know, make artichokes and stuff like that. I often find the process doesn't match the results of like what I did to what the taste ends up being. Like I enjoy it, but I'm like, I feel like like this isn't matching up. Like this should have been easier to get to this taste, <laughs> you know? And it's not hard. It's not hard at all. You know, I, I call it my sandwich theory where a sandwich is always better if somebody else makes it. Because Agreed. the labor that goes into it never pays off yeah, if you're the one making it. But if someone else makes it, you're just kind of like, this is a great... And it just this, shows up on plate in front of you? This is a great effing yeah, sandwich. We're going to try to work on our cussing this week. That was a note that we got. So we're open to suggestions. If you guys have things you think we should yeah. do or less not do. I'm going to remind our listeners that uh, uh, bartenders and... You know what? I cuss and I apologize like to say that I'm working on it, but that would be a lie. Yeah, you're not. I'm, uh, I'm working on it. So, <laughs> Chinar. <laughs> so, Chinar ended up being, okay, so, so to bring so it, Chinar to bring is it. sweeter, uh, a little bit rounder in flavor, uh, uh, especially compared to um, Fernet Bronca. Yeah, which yeah. is which is you know it's, by and far the most industry standard. It's the industry standard. Um, you know, they've been along, around for a long time, still a family owned business. Uh, one of my favorite people in the entire world is one of their top guys, Eric Ginther. Shout out to you. I love you. Come back to Sacramento so we can hug. Um, I, it's They do so many great things and they do so many creative things. And so I love Fernet for that reason. And in fact... You mean Bronca. Right. Well, okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I, 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 I love that. And when I had this you know product originally a couple of years ago when I started you know with it... And I read into it, Eric, like his mindset toward it was awesome. He's like, he's like, oh man, I've been seeing that. I've been wanting to try it. Can we try it right now? And then he was totally supportive. And it's just, you know, just another reason to, I love Fernet Branca. I'll drink that if that's available. I love this Fernet. There's enough variation within these, you know, within like the you know, classifications of this Amaro that you can, you can make it and you can have something different. So again, this California Fernet, which is... Awesome, and again, this is the one for like if you don't like Fernet, try this. It is a lot more pleasing on the palate. Yeah, you know. Um, and if someone was like to haze me with this, I'd be like, "Thank you." Yeah, 
So was that what happened to you? Is that why you ask? Like, uh, what? Without a doubt, um, when I started bartending, uh, it was don't be a little bitch, drink for net. <laughs> and, and it was you had to take it, and there was no real choice about it if you wanted to be part of the team. And if you didn't drink it, people would give you a hard time. Yeah. And more more so, the first time you have it, no one explains what it is. Just, you're part of the team. Shift drinks, shots, here we go. Yeah. Um, and and that was really, I mean, hey, it's important to recognize that, at least here in California, we're the second largest importers of Fernet in the world. The first being the entire country of Argentina, second being the Bay Area in the world. So I did not know that. So Northern California is the second largest consumer of Fernet Branca in the world. And so outside of Italy, where it's from, and outside of the entire country of Argentina. Yeah, so that would make sense. I mean, this this product has done very well for Martin and has done very well for me. It is now distributed nationwide. Out of his whole lineup, this is the only one that's distributed nationwide. Although I guess his Falernum is going to go as well. But it's just, it's a super rad product and it's a lot of fun. You can, you know, you can use it as a modifier, you can use it as a post. I love drinking Fernet after a big meal, you know, settle down my stomach a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what Amari's for. It's, you know, digestif. It's, yeah. It's, it's got those bittering agents to get your, to get your, um, your body processing all the food and everything to get consumed. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And what's great about Fernet is like almost every place has one. Mm-hmm. And even when they don't know well, that they least, have one. At least in our community, it does. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, there's I found myself in plenty of situations where, you know, you go out, you have a good time, you're, you eat this really nice meal. And then you know, ask them like, hey, do you guys have Fernet? Your server says, no, because they don't know what it is. And you go, it's actually that bottle right there in the bar. <laughs> so pour me one of those. Yeah, thank you. Is, thank you very much. This is my favorite Fernet. That I've come across. This is this is absolutely delicious. It's really well well rounded. It's got the right sweetness levels. It doesn't have um, the offensive uh, menthol notes that Bronca has when you shoot it. Mm. I love sipping Fernet Bronca. Yeah. Um, but shooting it is an entirely different experience. I think because you just you just jam it to the back of your mouth and. So you don't really get the full exposure to like all the other different roots. Yeah, yeah, you the, just get that shot of, of like eucalyptus at the back of your throat, and it's it's tough. It's rougher. It's Whereas rough. this one, that, is, just a, like, that is a like double black diamond. Drink. <laughs> this one is this is like a single black diamond. So uh, it's, it's good. It's, it's complex. Great, it's complex, but it's it's not offensive. It's not like a day of skiing moguls it's like you get a little bit of trees involved as well yeah and i you know i really we're in northern california get over it we're going to do ski references (laughs) and i you know i really enjoy um the packaging as well when you line up all of the different ones that he has together they're actually modeled after old california license plates oh very cool so it's like when you have them all lined up you're just kind of like oh that's from this generation that's from this generation it makes Um, sense now that i'm I see all the labels in my head. I, I get it. Yeah. And it's one of those like, I was like, oh, duh moments. Sure. Like I remember when Mark told me the first time I was like, I had had them for a couple months at that point and never put the two and two together. So then when you have them on your back bar or you have it in a retail spot, having that uniformity of just like California Fernet, 
California Orange Liqueur, California, sure. you know, Aqua Beat. Like, it's really kind of cool to see that. And, um, you know, and he's growing his line. He's actually going to be released. Like, he just released the Falernum, which is a really, really beautiful yeah, product that he had come up with, you know, um, similar to the more popular John T. Taylor, but this, you know, Jamaican, Jamaican rum-based. And then he's, within the next two months, he's going to be releasing a 100-proof Amaro. So, um, wow. so that'll be really exciting. And it's great because it's a two-man operation. So if you... To, to that he that, that he does his productions, so he messes around and he comes up with these different like flavor profiles and stuff like this using these different things. So for example, like the orange liqueur is only vanilla bean, bitter orange peel, and orange peel, and he just he kind of does his own at home infusions and then kind of guesstimates. Okay, this is probably what will happen to it when it goes through the through the still. And I was asking them, I was like, well, when you do that and you're kind of experimenting, you know, and being a little bit of a mad scientist with this. Cause this is his second job. This is not his primary job right now. It's like, what is that? It's like, what does that cost? I mean, just to run your still. He goes, he's like, oh, it's not too bad. It's like four or $5,000. And I was like, what? Like you have to be so confident in what you're doing, you know? And, um, and, and he's just, he's a lot of fun. He's definitely one of my favorite people that I get to work with and such a character as well. So, um, yeah, California Fernet, you can find it at the Good Bottle uh, shop here in Sacramento. So come check it out. And then, you know, if you guys call enough, you can get all the rest of Martin's stuff here too. But I just, I mean, I need, we, we got we to gotta bend his arm a little bit on it. Um, so that's California. That's what we're going to be sipping on for right now. We're keeping it up to one spirit because we also got some feedback that too many spirits leads to a bad, boring situation for people. We get it. You're not drinking with us. Maybe we'll do a live podcast we one time. We should do a live podcast sometime and allow people to drink with us that would be fun so that'll that'll be in the future it would be a very loud podcast yeah tell your friends so we get more followers and listens and stuff like that and we'll we'll do that but moving on to the gist of our show we got a couple fun stories for you guys today and one that admittedly i've been putting off because i'm worried that i'm gonna get a little fired up about it i'm not worried about it at all i know that it's gonna happen okay so with that being said, Chris, do you know what a GI is when it comes to gastrointestinal? No. Well, probably in some situations, not in this one. In this one, we're talking about a geographical index, which is typically an outline for what uh, it could be similar to a denomination of origin, which is going to be the parameters in which spirits must fit to be able to call certain things. So the most familiar one that people are really used to and are, you know, is like champagne, right? You know how I learned about champagne being champagne and having to come from champagne? No. Was Wayne's World. That's a great teacher for all of us. Many life lessons Mm -hmm. coming from from that. I don't remember that part. I also remember, yeah, it was the part with Rob Lowe uh, talking to uh, um, Tia Carrera. Yeah. And explaining people don't know otherwise it's just sparkling wine is it crazy to you that that movie came out what 20 plus years ago we're not going to talk about that but roblo looks exactly the same they're the same the, did you see him at the yeah. nfl at the nfc championship this past weekend i did not. he was wearing like i don't a, watch football like okay but he was i i didn't watch this game but the social media blew up because he was wearing an nfl hat and i'm not saying that he was wearing a 49er hat he was wearing just like an nfl hat like 
Did you watch Parks and Rec? Yes. It was the most Chris Traeger thing to ever do because he was like, I hope both teams do well and I'm very happy to be here. Like one of those kind of situations. And he actually made that joke on Twitter and it was amazing. So Rob Lowe, still very good looking, absolutely hilarious. If there's and a, can teach you about champagne. And can teach you about champagne. If there's a, uh, a poster child for working out, it's Rob Lowe. It's Rob Lowe. Yeah, good yeah, lord. I should really take some, uh, some pages from that book. Yeah, we'll get to it tomorrow. Um, so bringing, bringing it back to what we're actually supposed to be talking about, uh, the geographical index, there's one that's trying to be established for Barbados rum right now. So what that is going to, or what they're proposing for this to be part of the geographical index is water must come from Barbados. If it's considered an estate rum, it has to be from cane that was grown on Barbados. It has to be aged in Barbados. Age statements have to be the youngest rum present in that bottle. So if let's say you're doing a blend, if you have a blend of five and seven, you can only put five years on that bottle. Uh, so that's similar to whiskey. Uh, no dosing, for those who don't know, dosing is adding sugar post distillation. Uh, pretty infamous practice throughout all of rum. A lot of people find it um, yeah, misleading. Well, especially when you're talking about um, dark rums. Right. So that's literally how you create dark rum. So you couldn't at the at least according to this, created dark Barbados rum. Correct. Unless you had like, the only way that you, you potentially could do it is if you had like a, like a crazy charred barrel Yeah. that was just giving off a yeah, lot. But that's, but that's I know. Rum. I'm just, I'm throwing okay, that out there. Anyway, continue. <laughs> We're getting into the weeds here. Sorry. Um, you are allowed to use E150, which is a coloring agent. Yep. It's uh, one of the most popular. Yeah, very prevalent throughout there, the industry. There are, there are several, but that's the most popular. Yeah, so it, it, and in this situation, E150 is a coloring. It does not add flavor, simply just color. Mm -hmm. And then it has to be aged in oak barrels. So the government is working with the distilleries that are that are on Barbados to, to put this together. And the government's hope is that all the distilleries will agree and then they'll this is what our this is what Barbados rum will be moving forward protecting it according to them and so that way when you see Barbados rum on a bottle anywhere in the world there is there is a certain amount of expectations that you'll have the things that you can rely on based on the GI. So true this all seems very standard. I mean this we have very similar things for like uh, like I said champagne for bourbon for yes. Uh, agave spirits so are you telling me that in the rum world there was a scandal no i wouldn't say a scandal but definitely a different of opinion because we're still too early for it to be a scandal but <laughs> you have four distilleries on barbados okay so you have four square distillery which is one of the highest um producers well-regarded. Well-regarded as well. Yeah. Um, you have St. Nicholas Abbey, yeah. which is a much smaller production facility. Uh, relatively newer to, like, they've been around, but then they were out of existence for a while. Now they're coming back again. It's currently not available in the U.S. I would love to see it one day. I've heard really great things. And then, of course, you have Mount Gay, which is another really infamous, really well-known brand. The oldest operating Oldest, yep. As, as well, we discussed in the previous podcast, and then you have the West Indies Distillery, which is owned by the Mason Ferran Company, which 
most people in our industry will recognize as the plantation rum. Plantation rum, but they also make Citadel gin. They make Citadel gin. They yeah. do. Um, they do a, an exceptional line of cognacs. Yeah, they make the Matilde liqueurs, which are which are pretty fantastic. Yes, and so they are pretty well regarded. I would say they're a, they're a, they're popular amongst most industry people. Yeah, their uh, master distiller um, is is really well regarded. He he has a um, an eye for detail and a curious nature for uh, innovation that I think is 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 fairly unparalleled and very well respected. Yeah, and that is where everything goes to hell. So um, I believe the person not that you're referring to is Alexander Gabriel, who is um, you know kind of the head of the company and has done a lot of things within the cognac world, which has created two different camps: people that absolutely love what he does, and then people who despise him because he doesn't respect the rules and the traditions of of the uh, of the world. And his contention is always going to be that it's for innovation, having doing things a little bit different way, like what ends up happening with these different spirits that we're so familiar with, if we do it a little bit different. This is the case in the fight for the GI for Barbados. You have the three distilleries of Foursquare, St. Lucas Abbey, and Mount Gay all agreeing to those things that I had originally listed. And then you have Mason Ferran, Alexander Gabriel saying, we don't want to do it like that. We'd actually like to have the ability to add caramelized sugar, to age in different types of barrels, use different types of water, age in different places, even though it's still bar like the rum originally is distilled in Barbados. Just to in their the argument is is that we're trying to be innovative and stuff like that. So on the outside looking in, I think for myself if I had no idea who Mason Front was, who Alexander Gabriel was, who Plantation was, I'd probably be like, fuck these guys. Right. You know, because they are, I mean, if you if you boil it down to the fact of like we're trying to, you know, establish a GI, we're trying to protect this, you know, this Barbados rum that we all hold in such high regard, this guy is essentially shitting all over it. But I, in all the interviews that I've listened to with Alexander, the conversations and communication that I've had with him myself, I have never, ever gotten a, like, lick of malicious intent when it comes to what, what he does when he does it. You know, you know um, John Glacier of Compass Box gets the same, the same feedback all the time. It's pretty common. Yeah, and it's because it's you have these traditionalists. And one of the things that Alexander's brought up in, his, in some of his interviews and conversations is that he's like, you know, some of these traditions and things that people talk about, it's not necessarily tradition. It's just what they do. And they've really only been doing it for 20 or 30 years, which is a long time. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, no, that's just what you do. It's not several hundred years old. Yeah. And, um, and so, so what you've – what was basically manifested itself is like this woke movement – of rum enthusiasts who are fighting for the sanctity of Barbados rum. And basically what they're doing is they're all in a room just yelling at each other that I care more about Barbados rum. No, I care more about Barbados rum. There's been 
several open letters addressed to Alexander and how their feelings are <laughs> and where and where you can um, like they're like ex- like we're just express you know expressing the only way that we know how to and they're calling for boycotts of plantation rum they're asking people to sign like these letters and stuff like that so one of them was posted I, and I've seen it a couple of times and the, in the, they posted it again today and they're like we're building momentum and so I was like I was like what does that mean it's just like it's a slow but you know moving thing and I looked at it like 56 people had signed it and it's like most of them are because you put who you are and then who you're affiliated sure. with right so you have a lot of rum enthusiasts I get that but then you had like people from Mount Gay people from uh, Foursquare people you know from you know, really about this is, is not too long ago Foursquare came under fire um, because uh, Richard Seal is white. Yeah. You know? And so the same woke people were arguing, saying that he was a colonizer and, and was profiteering off of, off of Barbados, which is also lacking a complete understanding of the history of Barbados. Because he's from there. He he's was from there. He was born and raised there. Yeah. And... And these are a lot of the same terms but that you're also, seeing. I mean, that's it. Barbados was, to the best of my understanding, and I'm definitely not a historian on this fact, but to the best of my understanding, Barbados was pretty much a deserted island when the colonizers showed up. Not pretty much, it was a deserted island. Yeah. The quote unquote colonizers showed up, so there was no one there to kick off. Yeah, I'm not going to confirm or deny because I just don't know. Yeah. And that producer credit is going to take like some actual research to be done, yeah, we'll not just like a it. passively, uh, you know, look into it. But yeah, so I, I, I mean, like, I totally understand where people are coming from when it comes to this GI. And of course, we are always going to preach like education, know where your stuff is coming from, know everything you can about it. I just think they're going about it the wrong way. And I also think that rum, like these rum enthusiasts sure. and these people who are calling you know, as a colonizer, and it's just kind of like, like, listen, guys, like, I think your, I think your anger is, is directed at the wrong people, you know, like, you, if you really care, like, you're, I think the focus needs to be on, like, talk, talking to the government, having those conversations with them, being like, you have three distilleries who are in agreement on what this should be, and if Mason Ferran takes the L on this, they just have to take the L. And you're getting into geopolitics and stuff like that, and like the money that they might be throwing at them and stuff like that. So I realize it's a complicated issue, but it's just, there's also this vacuum that rum drinkers exist in. That if you're on these pages and you're in these groups and these websites and stuff like that, like you would think that everybody's drinking rum all the time. Like that's the only thing that people drink. And the reality is, is that it's just fucking not. It's just, it's, it's so specific and that rum world that seems so big is actually very small. It's very small. And, you know, you, I'm sure you're starting to learn. It's like, you have this really great collection of rum here, things that, you know, aren't, don't exist throughout the rest of, you know, Sacramento. Is it flying off the shelf? Like, can you keep it stocked? You know, or is it, it's like a steady kind of thing. Like what have your rum sales been like? in the first month and a half, two months of being open? They've been okay. Yeah. And that's just... Like... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm doing my best to work with the local uh, rum enthusiasts right. to, to supply what they want. Um, but even when I bring in what they want, it still takes them a week or two to show up to even buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not... And 
And not buy all of it by any means. One, <laughs> one or two people shows up and buys one or two bottles. Right. Uh, and as much as I love rum, uh, uh, you and I have talked about this before, about the, the desire um, for rum drinkers to enjoy rum being inexpensive. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. And so that clamor for uh, recognition amongst the spirit world, but then also... Keep it no, cheap. Keep it cheap. Yeah. Uh, which is fine because rum rum is inexpensive for the most part, but there are some that that climb a little bit more than $14 a bottle. Well, and that's 100% the case with Foursquare. And this is a product that is very well regarded throughout the rum world. It's very well respected. Richard Seal does do a great job at producing what he produces, and he produces for a lot of different people. So it's not, just, right. it's not just Foursquare, but it's... Dorley's, it's the real McCoy, like, and it, the list goes on and on. I mean, I remember having a conversation like he's like top five in the world in terms of production. That's right, and that's an insane thing and to he me does because an amazing job. And he he does, he really yeah, does. But he's also the type of person who rails against dosage and adding sugar and stuff like that, but adds E one fifty to it, so he colors his rums. And if you hear the excuses that a lot of people give for why they don't want sugar in their rum. It's the same reasons that they say that it's okay to add color to it. It's really bizarre. Consistency and making it more appealing to customers and stuff like that. I was like, these are the same reasons people add sugar to rum. Now, to Mason Farad's credit, they do do a lot of research and they dig up a lot of stuff. Now, people can call out like, oh, is that really, that seems like suspect historical documents that you found and stuff like that. But to their credit, one thing that Plantation's always really been good about is that they are a wide open book with everything that they do. And that is not necessarily been the case for the other distilleries. You know, there is still veils of secrecy and stuff like that. So while they agree to most of these things for the GI. They want that flexibility. They want to be able to, like I said, use a different woods, potentially use different, you know, dosage and stuff like that. And so it's just, it's been this really interesting, heated argument. And it's, and it's not even like, it's not even people like really having that argument. It's just people belting out that we need to protect Barbados. And it's you know, just, it's really funny about this argument is, um, you know, silently over the last few years, you know, bourbon has introduced other woods and finishing. Mm -hmm. and, and historically, you weren't allowed to finish your bourbons, and now we have finished bourbons. All of a sudden, it's still called bourbon. Yeah. So, I, I find that it's the heat of the fight that people like, and when it comes time to, um, when it comes time for that. To actually matter people eh, they don't they don't they don't fight quite as hard you know it's I it's a silly fight to me because I don't see I don't see a reason why you couldn't find a middle ground like you were saying and fighting with the government to say okay well you can call it Barbados but if it's finished in anything other than oak you have to label that you know just yeah. like with whiskey producers if it's if it's under a certain age it has to be stated that it's under that age yeah this this is common sense stuff but the fact that people are taking it to this level is pretty silly 
Yeah, and you know, and I guess to the credit of the people who are you know fighting for this, these you know great white knights, if you will. True. What it, is it that you're cracking over there? Uh, nothing. We're not talking about it because we're only supposed to talk about one spirit. Well, it's not going to happen because I. That's well, a, it's a very pretty sound. It's from model. it's a great it's a great transition because this is we're one of the other things that they're trying to challenge right now is um, the the Jamaican GI as well. Which has some very similar similar rules and things put in place to quote unquote protect Jamaican rum. So I um, I actually bought this from you today. Yes, you if did. If you remember, and um, this is the Hamilton uh, Jamaican Pot Still Blonde. Hamilton just a really difficult bottle to find in this area. I love this fucking rum. I can <laughs> say it. Uh, yeah. So uh, Plantation actually does you know some Jamaican expressions as they well. Do. And they had some really, really fun ones. And, um, you know, it, it's been really interesting to watch, like, some of those boycotts and stuff like that. Because when you dig a little bit deeper, they're just kind of like, well, I only really like OFTD or, like, the, um, you know, like my random ass, like, examples. Like, it's like, well, you're not buying it anyway. So, yeah, so, who, so what does it matter? Like, who are you really hurting here? Yeah. And I just, and that's why I always respond back with, like, the... More for me and everyone else. That's right. You, you know? know, an interesting piece of uh, information that I learned today, and I, it's not necessarily headlines worthy, but I, I found out that Spearbomb is uh, no longer in the bulk rum business. They are removing everything from the bulk rum market and only bottling their own things. I don't. What were they doing before? So all the chairmen's Hamiltons was Hamiltons was buying from them. Um, so they're only bottling their own stuff now. So you're saying that Chairman Reserve is 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 going to be no more? No, Chairman's Reserve is part of it. Is is that but from they're, because they're not they're not selling to anybody else? Okay, so Chairman Reserve is a rum that's from Saint Lucia. Correct. Hamilton does have a Saint Lucia expression. Of which so fine. so what you're saying is they're no longer going to let people come in and independently bottle Correct. from them. Wow, yeah. that happened today. I learned that today. I don't know when it happened. Uh, we'll have to bring uh, Antoine back in here to clarify. But yeah. well, That was so weird because we didn't talk about that when he was here, which was not that long ago. Right. What a huge development. Breaking news, guys. Are, Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Might have been a headline that we, we missed. Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's, in, it's important to talk about. I mean, because, you know, again, like whether you're whether you're in a bar or you're a consumer or any of these things, like, you know, it's important to know this stuff. It's like, as, as we've pointed out multiple times in this podcast, it's like, know what you're buying. If you like it, that's fine, but just know what you're drinking. Yeah. And I think that having more control over what your products end up being from a spirit bomb like standpoint, because I mean, I, I would have to assume like, you know, their growth has been pretty significant. And you're starting to see it more and more places. Well, especially with the growth of the tiki movement again. We call it the nouveau tiki movement. What are we calling it? The, the resurgence. I'll call it resurgence. The resurgence. I'll go with resurgence. Of the tiki movement. I mean, yeah, definitely rum has, has been selling. It's not that it hasn't been selling. It has been selling. People are into it. People love tiki. And I know tiki's not just rum. But with that, there is a growth of rum. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so all these companies that had probably been laying dormant, for lack of a better term, you know, for the last twenty years, are now are now able to, um, you know, reinvest and, and redevelop and, and create a new narrative. 
That's cool. Well, so to you know, kind of put a nice little bow on this, uh, you know, these GIs are, are constantly coming up for debate as these spirits become more and more popular. People are going to be, you know, trying to either change things or make them better. Like, you know, I'm going to fall into the camp that I'd love to see innovation. You know, if you are a buyer, if you are, you know, a consumer, just ask questions. You know, see, I, yeah, yeah I, see, I, see what these people know, see what they don't know. Do the like the information is all out there. I like innovation with standards. And transparency. And transparency. Totally. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I don't like uh, usually, you know, whipped vodka. That's not the type of innovation I'm uh, a fan of. You know? I'm not yeah. saying that you can't have fun with whipped vodka. Uh, yeah. It's just I, not my it's not my steez. I think a great example of that is like the plantation pineapple. And I would uh, I I have a bottles that we've crushed in public. Yeah, I have a good understanding of it, but it's it's somewhat like it's very in depth, and I think they do a great job. So look into it because it is really beautiful product. But we're gonna move on because again, I'm trying not to fall too much into like anger swimming sharks with this. (laughs) And and again, just just be clear, like I'm pretty indifferent towards the GI if they if they do it great. If you know, front gives up whatever, like just just be transparent, and we'll go from there. Um, Speaking of transparency. There is a Instagram account that we came across via an article that is called Overpriced Bourbon. It has over 32,000 followers on Instagram. What they do is they are sent pictures from all over the United States, potentially the world. We only got through like stateside stores and stuff like that, where people take pictures of pricing, send it to them. Also send a screenshot of like the Google like landing page for these places. So you have like the address and stuff like that. And then this page, which is 32,000 followers, gives them either a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether or not they have fair pricing because the bourbon market is so volatile and it changes so often that they're essentially putting all these different you know stores and stuff like on blast if they have if they have a to be fair they do have they do have thumbs up as well this is almost the yelp of the whiskey world it's yelp via instagram but i don't hate it no i'm still on the fence about it i mean i'm on the but i i'm leaning more towards like it's it's somewhat humorous i'm not a huge fan of putting these small businesses kind of on blast like i was totally okay with like the thumbs up to this price being great thumbs down to this price being bad i get turned off when you put the screenshot of the of the the location you know yeah because you yeah because you don't know what goes into it you know yeah i can i can say from my own personal experience and by no means should mine be taken as gospel Unless, of course, you want to worship me, which is fine. That's okay. You can find me at Chris and Flair on, uh, on, on uh, Yelp. That's a lie. On Instagram. <laughs> I like being worshipped. Anyway, uh, what I am saying is uh, there are hoops that you have to jump through in order to get some of these bottles. And right. sometimes it's necessary to pass that, that price along to your, to your customers. And it's... Uh, some people are happy to do it and others are not. I'm less happy to do it, uh, but it is the nature of our capitalist society of which we live in. And if I could raise my family and not 
charge what we charge, then that would be great. I think it's important to note, though, that some of these deals that liquor stores, bars have to do in order to quote-unquote qualify for certain bottles, very much so a gray area. Oh, definitely. S trending into the you're not supposed to do that. Oh, a lot of it's uh, you're not supposed to do it. Uh, yeah. AC has come down very hard in California. Um, if, if there is a product in your warehouse, you must sell it if you can. Yeah. To whoever is willing to buy it. And you technically can't require them to buy X amount of certain things in order to get that bottle. Technically. However, <laughs> that is often not the case yeah. if you really want. And there's, to their credit, a lot of clever ways around that. Yeah. And a lot of combos that are built into systems yes um that it's like this mental gymnastics you have to do and buy 25 cases of some okay whiskey or vodka you to get know, to get is, one bottle right. of this really and desirable thing it that way that's the poo poo method uh for saying it what i often hear are uh, we like to appreciate the people who support us. Which is a really classy way to put That's it. That's so classy. That makes me feel like a classy hoe. <laughs> You're like, I want to be your friend. Yeah. I'm the $1,000 a night hooker. I'm not a corner of the block hooker. Yeah. And that's, you know, for, for us at JVS, that's just not a game that we play. You know, if you want something and I have it, you're going to get it. Um because it, it's just it's it's a gross there's that gray area it just gets really muddy very quickly and i'm not i don't want to ever be in that situation where it's just kind of like oh well i bought all these things from you how come i'm not getting this and and stuff like that and it's just a it's really it's it's a tough situation so bringing this back to kind of like these liquor stores that are charging these like really rough prices for this stuff it's like you don't know what they had to do. Plus, they have brick and mortar. Like, they're paying rent. And also, some of these prices exist on the secondary market. Oh, not just exist. Like, they, like that they far outweigh what, what, the, what the store is paying. Right. So, yeah. if, you know, I've seen situations where a guy will buy a bottle at a local store, go on to one of these whiskey groups, thank that guy, right? Be like thanks so-and-so for this really cool bottle. And then the next day, be on a seller's group. Now, these have been cracked down pretty significantly on Facebook. Yeah. But there are seller groups that still exist. Go on that seller's group and then sell it for three times what he made. Right. Or what he paid for it. Yeah. You know? So it's... Which is illegal. Very much so. There's no gray area there. There's, there's no gray area there. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, have... I'm still, I'm still in support of the second secondary market i think it's fine I, I think it's it's just it's comical more than anything yeah and well especially when you have people like complaining about it and calling and calling things like dusties and museums and stuff right. like that it's like it's like right. listen buddy i've sat in a lot of liquor stores all over california and i've watched people walk in look at these prices and kind of go yep that's worth it to me and i remember watching one conversation unfold where this guy had bought a bottle of weller 12 
and paid $200 for it. Well, that's a lot. Now, this is a bottle that typically, or if you're talking about retail, should be around like $30, $40. People's quote-unquote fair price on secondary is $100. This guy paid $200, said that, was getting annihilated by all these people. Like, you pay too much, you got screwed. And he goes, listen up, fucking nerds. I have a bottle of Weller 12. You don't. I don't have time just to run around to all these different liquor stores trying to find good deals. I'm going to go home and drink my goddamn whiskey. And while you guys are just going to sit there and like, oh, I wish I had a bottle of Weller 12. I have one. God bless that human being. I wanted to, I wanted to have his babies. I that wish was... that I had the money to have that point of view. Yeah, it's definitely, a, it's definitely an FU type money situation. But that's beautiful. Yeah, that's a that's great. That is uh, that's what I do this for. Type of situation. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, and you can also imagine like let's say I took a couple, you know, a few months off from like buying booze, right? And I was just like, he's like, you know what? I got more than enough in my collection right now. I'm gonna save up my money for the next two months, and then I'm gonna go drop that two hundred dollars. It's like I would have spent that on all these other different bottles. Like I just showed a little bit of restraint, and now I get this bottle that I've always really wanted. Right. You know, that of course, like, could I have got it for cheaper? Maybe. But when if do you, you can see find it? If you can find it, if you have the time, and a lot of people... Well, and if you're... Right, it's not just time, it's patience. It's it's uh, it's hitting the store at the right time. Right. I was talking to a woman the other day who was looking for a bottle of Pappy, obviously. And, um, you know, she was saying that she's in the lottery at Total, at Total Wine. You know, and that's, you have to, in order to get into the lottery, you have to spend so much money. Thousands of at, dollars. At Total Wine in order just to get into the lottery. Yeah. Which then theoretically gets drawn at random and then someone gets that bottle. I think Pappy. And someone gets the ability to buy that bottle of which to, each <laughs> right. Total Wine store maybe gets three. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's, it's, so that's a hilarious one. I mean, that's like the one, you know, if I'm at, if I'm at like some friends like, baby shower house party housewarming whatever find out what you do oh you sell booze i would say seven out of ten times can you get me pappy yeah it's like that is not how this works at all yeah but yeah. i mean yes i can how much are you willing to pay for it so but it's like that ah, you know, Blanton's is becoming the same way too it's you know it's really yeah hard. it's really hard to get weller has become that way there are a lot of as we say these unicorn whiskeys that um and end up in that in that realm recently, which is pretty. It's pretty funny. It's hard as a retailer because you want those, but you also don't want to be defined as them. My my goal in the short time I've been open is really to try to push the conversations the way it's not just a one and done. So people understand that there's more in the world that's worth drinking. And while I can sell or am able to sell or not able to sell some of the things, they can understand that I have other things that are entirely worth drinking that might end up on that list one day and you don't know. Yeah. And I think that's like the thing that, you know, cracks me up is that, you know, 10 years ago people weren't doing this and it's a, it's a situation that I don't foresee changing anytime soon because it's just, it's just so ridiculous, but it is also part of the fun to be able to offer somebody something a little bit different. I had a scenario where someone really wanted to get a McAllen 18. Now you can get a McAllen 18 anywhere, Although, the, but the price has been going up and they're just kind of like, man, I just having a tough time. 
wanting to pay that price for something I used to pay for just a couple of years ago for this. Like, is there anything alternatives? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. The Eddard Hour Caledonia, the Glen Farkless, like Tam Dew. Like there are other things that have that sherry cask influence that, you know, is it going to be the exact profile? No, of course not. McAllen was McAllen. But there are so many options out there that when you find all these people that are fighting over all these same different bottles, like these 30 and $40 bottles. I mean, look what's happened to Henry McKenna tenure over the last couple of years. I mean, it's just kind of, right. it's like, it's an okay bottle at, you know, 40 bucks. It's not okay at 150, 200, you know, these different right. prices that you start to see. So I, I can appreciate what this Instagram is doing. I wish they didn't post like that geographical location, you know, just like, Take it as an educational tool and be like, yes, this is too high to pay for this. Yeah, and then the putting people on blast is a little weird. Yeah, because well, it's, it's, it's you're shitty. Well, you're because you're 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 basically blowing up small businesses. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which is the Yelp of bourbon men. Yeah, I can't stand anybody who does that. Like, yeah. if you have a bad experience at a family-owned restaurant, keep it to yourself. Well, I don't. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't or need to talk to them about. Well, yeah, we'll talk to them. Maybe yeah. like you know, give give some yeah. give some notes if you feel so inclined. But like but you Yelp know, is not the the method for doing that. Yelp or getting on Facebook and blasting no. these places. It's just kind of like it's like you know what? Just don't go back there. Right. What do you think you're doing God's work by you know putting this place on blast yes. and being like, oh, you'll never go. Oh, this place will never go there. That always cracks me up too when people ask for recommendations like, what should I get? And like, you're like you don't even know this person. This person can have shit taste, and you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna believe what they have to say. Right. I'm going to go and buy this. This is good value. Yeah. Which is why if you ever see me comment on those things, I always say buy it because I think it's hilarious. Even if I hate it, I'm like, buy it. You know? <laughs> let's see. Let's see what how much influence I really have. Which is very little. Well, yeah, probably. Um, okay, so we're getting close to our hour mark, which we try to keep it under. We have one more story. Do you think we can get through it in like yeah, the next couple minutes? Okay. It's be fun. All right. So Fever Tree... The um, the the tonic that a lot of people are familiar with is showing slowing growth in the UK, and investors are freaking out right now. And they're trying to come up with all these different systems in order to turn that around. And a lot of people are contributing to the fact that the gin craze is starting to die a little bit in the UK. You're just not as much emphasis on it as it used to it's be like a couple years ago. It's not dying as we just reported. Right, but I'm just but that's what that's what they're trying to say, right? Is that like it's it's now the way that this article read for most of it was just kind of like, "Oh my god, Fever Tree's going out of business." Here's the reality. They're still up 10% in the UK over last year, but the sales weren't as fast as they wanted them to be. Now, in the US, they were up 33%. So apparently, yeah, the tonic soda, craft soda, craft tonic market in America is still flourishing. We have one in ours called Three Cents. Really, really great stuff. You have things like Q Sodas. You have the Fever Tree lineup as well. And I know there's a, you know, a, and there are a people bunch of other who ones. have their preferences amongst them. Yeah. Which, and, you know, the, which means that they're around and they're in people's lexicon. They understand what the difference between Q soda tonic and fever tree tonic are. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation today with a really well-respected bar manager and good bar program here in Sacramento talking about the difference between their program and then another successful uh, bar program talking about tonics 
And in this scenario, purely based on location, the one that they were talking about was like, that is a place that people go to for cocktails, right? That is that is what they're there for. So doing the craftier sodas, the craftier stuff, like, makes total sense for them. Here, I am a stop on a way to an event. Oh, interesting. And like, now they do great food, they do really great drinks. He's like, but what he's found is that people don't care that I think he uses Schweppes for his tonic. For the record, I am a fan of Schweppes. But I'm just saying, you're talking about plastic bottles versus this very crafty glass sure. little bottles and stuff like that. So to him, justifying that price isn't there because when someone comes down and orders a gin and tonic, they don't care what's in it because it's mostly about, I'm familiar with this, I'm going to this event, I need to kind of get in and out of here really quick. Whereas this other place is doing kind of like this whole you know, production and to make this really amazing cocktail, but that's what they're there for. So it's really kind of interesting one's to see destination, that. One's destination, uh, one's on, on route. On route to destination. Yeah. Both, to me, are the top two programs in Sacramento right now. It, both of them are great bar programs. Awesome. But it's so amazing to see the different mindsets when it comes to the tonics and the sodas and stuff like that. And he's like, he's like, don't get me wrong, I really want to carry this kind of stuff. It just doesn't make sense for me yeah. to carry this stuff. You know, what was always interesting for me to find is it was always difficult to uh, try to convince people to care a little bit more about uh, the secondary ingredients. Mm. So the sodas, the mixers, the ice, you know, that was going into their, that was going into their drink. Um, you know, doing an upsell on well-made ice was always hard you know because they're like well why why should i care it's and ice he, yeah, yeah it's ice you know doing an upsell on tonic has always been hard no you know like it, you say well you have this one which usually comes with it or there's this one which is great and you go to your sales pitch and they're like why are you talking to me just give me the the usual one yeah yeah it's 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 really interesting and i think you know from that bar perspective like, you know, taking the example that I gave earlier, it's just like, yeah, just reach your crowd. You yeah. know, if this is a conversation that you can have and you can give them this elevated experience with like this really cool craft soda, this really cool craft tonic, do it. You're If you're at home and you want to have yourself a really good gin and tonic, yeah, spring, get it, get that, you know, three cents, get that fever tree, get that Q soda, like take those extra steps, make it a little bit more special, but you know, you're having a barbecue on the weekend. You got the neighbors over who you're kind of friends with, but your kids get along. <laughs> Bust out the Schweppes. <laughs> First of all, again, I like Schweppes. You can like it all you want to. I'm it's strictly talking great. price point here, <laughs> you know, in presentation and stuff I, like I think the answer really is, is the, op the option. People kind of get offended by the option. If you just give it to them, and then tell them why it's special, they appreciate it more. If, yeah. if you're saying, choose between these two things that you don't really give a fuck about, yeah. they don't care. Well, and it's not, it's, it's, then it starts to sound expensive. Yes. Right? You're just yeah, kind of, you're, like, you're, like, you're like, you're like, you're like, you're like, you guys, it's a, it's a gin and tonic. Yeah. Let's settle down a little bit. Um, so yeah, and one of the things that we had discussed earlier as we were going through these stories is that you know, these sales and this, this stuff like that, like those are indicators for the entire, you know, market and stuff like that. And when it comes to, and this is where I think the, the article was a little misguided because it didn't, it didn't, it was basically insinuating that the, that the UK was so far ahead of the US when it came to like 
craft gins and stuff like that. And I think they are a little bit ahead of us, but not to the point where they kind of conveyed it. Because like they were saying like USA almost didn't have a craft gin market, which is completely ridiculous. No, that's asinine. I, yeah. I think it's just different, you know. Uh, Spain had an eruption of gin and tonics, mm -hmm. right? And that became like their national drink for a few years. Mm -hmm. And now Brazil is going through this right. same which, cultural phenomenon. Which we talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Not to say that they're ahead or different, but I know bartenders, I know bars that attempted to do that here in the U.S. And they had marginal success, you know, but it's just a different culture. Yeah. Saying one's ahead is is sort of a silly uh, qualification, right? Yeah. Like, like, it's just it's just different. Right. Right. You know, and... Um, I mean, again, this was this was the tone that I gathered from the article and it just was it was just weird to me and i and again like it, it read like this like this uh like this death march for craft sodas it kind of was like like oh was still profitable oh like you like yeah they were very profitable actually like the, it was like 383 million dollars it was just kind of like all right guys you know just easy a little bit like put your capitalism just a little bit in check you're up 60%. You're not growing as fast as you wanted to and you're already hitting the panic button. It's like, right. you're, like it's just, it's crazy. And then they're like, well, how do we do what the U.S. did at 33%? It's just like, chill the fuck out a little bit maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so those are our stories. Again, we enjoyed the California Fernet today. We are going to enjoy some chocolate macadamia candies after. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much again. If I'm back out in Honolulu anytime soon, I will come and talk to you guys again. Hang, just hang out with you guys. Not bring my kid this time so I can actually have fun. And uh, it'll be great. No, we had a great time. That was a joke. Your uh, daughter is so much more fun than you are. Yeah, that's a true. She was she was dancing. Man, she was a lot more cute. Well, that goes. You don't even have to say that. That was a duh. So, um, yeah, feel free to follow me on Instagram at dgar6 to see all the pictures and videos of my cute-ass daughter. <laughs> so, it's a really great one of her at a luau, dancing on the table. So, uh, yeah, that was a good time. Anything else to add today, Chris? No, we have uh, one story about terms and, uh, and language that we'll get to on the next one, which I think is, is fun, and um, we'll have a good laugh about that, but... Until then, I'm going to enjoy this uh, this Hamilton rum that you poured for me. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, guys, we've one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was that we've had a lot of friends reach out to us and, you know, say some really nice things about the podcast. Yeah, that's weird. I'm uncomfortable with compliments. And I just want to say thank you, guys. It really means a lot that, like, people are enjoying this. And if, if there's things that you're not enjoying, let us know. I mean, that we, we got a lot of constructive criticism on last week's episode. So uh, let us know if you have ideas or things you want to do. Um, you know, I know we got to get another guest in here soon. People seem to really gravitate towards that. I also get a lot of requests. You know, people yeah. want to be on it. Uh, please, please send us your questions. If you have any technical questions or industry questions, we'd love to... Uh dive deep into those as well yeah follow us on the good bottle podcast uh on instagram and on facebook uh reach out to us and or if you have like a spirit you want us to drink i'm down with some some free bottles Ooh, spirit requests spirit requests i just imagine people trying to trying to get us lit yeah just like 
give us something awful, which is funny because I like Malort, so let's just cut that one off. I and they cut that one off in the past. I, I know we're trying to cut this off, but I have such a great Malort story. Oh, please, it's okay. So I got a request to do a work with, which in, in our industry, basically, like, you know, a supplier comes and meets you, and then you go and you work the market together. And it's, and it's usually a really good day. You know, you get to have like this insider information on stuff, but it also gets you out of your routine. So it's a little, it can be tough at times as well. I got a last minute one. It was going to be on a Friday, which is admittedly not a great day to do these. We ended up putting together this really awesome day and got to see a lot of people, got to meet a lot of fun people. And this guy was just down to hang and it was just really going, you know, going kind of with everything. We end up going to B-Side Mm, B-Side has a wow. bottle of it of Malort. Yes, they do. And I look at him, and again, really, you know, get after it kind of guy, but in this day, like, he'd been really soft-spoken, really like that. I was like, you ever had a shot of Malort before? He's like, no. I goes, shots of Malort for us. He had no clue what we were in for. Oh, this is lovely. To be fair, I only made him do a half shot because I was like, this is the first time I'm meeting this supplier. We've had a great day. I hate to just ruin it. <laughs> and for you guys who don't know, Malort is this liqueur that... It's incredibly popular in Chicago. In, it is the Fernet of Chicago. It's the Fernet of Chicago, but there's just nothing enjoyable about it. You're very wrong. Okay. Well, it's a it's a lot rougher. It's it's just really bad. There's a great YouTube video of the YouTube family of the family um, like the grand like the quote unquote grandson. It's a spoof. But yeah, it's just trying to do like a, a video form alert. It's so funny. But so I do this to this guy, and it was all over his face that that was not what he thought it was going to be. <laughs> to his credit, though, I mean, he just he took it like a champ, and we took it with you know. Garrett as well, and Garrett was just dying because it was just like, I had no idea what Malort was, and I was like, I'm here to potentially ruin your day, and I think to a certain degree it really was, but which, to be fair, also is a uh, Garrett Van Black special Yeah, you just love seeing other people's days get ruined. I think he was I think he was the type of person that was like don't be a bitch, drink your Malort <laughs> so, yeah, he's everyone that I came up under, Yeah, which is why Garrett and I get along now yeah, so uh, uh, if you if you find a bottle of Malort, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. But definitely look up Malort on YouTube. First time I had Malort, I was standing in the offices of the Imbibe Magazine um, headquarters. Name drop. Definitely. And I was standing with Brad Peters, name drop number two. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Relentless. Who still doesn't listen to the podcast, by the way? <sighs> what a dick. That doesn't surprise me. No, but I can call him whatever I want because he's not listening. <laughs> and he was there doing the Brad thing where he was schmoozing with everyone. Mm -hmm. And they had told me to go ahead and make cocktails out of their uh, stash, which I was actively and eagerly doing. And I came across a bottle of Lord. I've never had it before. Yeah. But... The fact that Brad wasn't paying attention and just kind of tasting everything that I put in his hands, I immediately poured him a shot. Oh, beautiful. Immediately. And he, I stood there to the side, like, pretending to work and pretending to make a cocktail and watch him. This fool takes a drink, sips half of it, stops his conversation, looks at the, the glass in his hand, shrugs, gives it a little bit of a smile, and drinks the rest of it. <laughs> Son of a bitch! I was like this, I hadn't, and I hadn't had it at that point in time. So I went, poured myself some, and I was like, oh, yeah, 
actually, it's pretty good. It is not pretty it's good. It's like dry, cinnamon, bitter. I enjoyed it. But I was really hoping that he would spit it up. You know, have that like double take, that cough. Yeah. Yes, this guy lets me down in every way in my life. Yeah. I think we should like, from now on, just have a part of the show where we wrap up where we just take some completely unnecessary shot at Brad. Oh, and, deal. And until he says something, this will continue. Agreed. Okay. All right, so so with, if you have any additional Brad digs, we will take them and we will read them on air. <laughs> All right? All right, cheers, homie. Hey, cheers, buddy. <laughs>